1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, city of champions. All right, we are teeing it up. That is. I think uh, that was a. I think that was a golf ball. Yeah, that, that was uh, the the ding of the golf ball. That wasn't a baseball bat hitting a ball. No, I don't know if you're on. Are you on? Sounds like it. Get right up on that bad boy. Can you hear me? Audio tech. There we ah, go. There we go. There yeah, we yeah. Go. Cool. This is one of the best rehearsals we've had so far. <laughs> is, is it a rehearsal or are we live? No, we are live. Oh, okay. Jeez. Thanks a lot. Yeah. No, I'm just teasing that. Uh, you know, I, we get started and then I start adjusting things. Yeah. That's always. Well, that's, we're busy men, man. We 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 you know we love getting here and doing it with setting up and we're too excited to. To do like some kind of a warm up or anything, well, we're gonna run, jump right into right, it. Both feet first. Pour cocktails. Plenty of yeah. time to oh, pour yeah. cocktails. Oh yeah, plenty of time. Sure. And then uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get to the whole you know does the audio work question yeah, later. That's, yeah, those are incidental issues. Yeah, we'll yeah that's that a, that's an go. aside. As long as we got as long as we got a, a nice cocktail. So pretty excited though, and and it, that's the thing. We're I, I always excited to do the podcast, yeah. and there's right always in. exciting things happening in and around the podcast. Yeah. Um, we stream live on Facebook, we stream live on YouTube, and then the videos are there saved for posterity for people to go back and watch them. And we've been creating playlists um, in YouTube for like the Red Wings. So all the stuff related to the Red Wings are in one playlist and all the Tigers are in one playlist. Uh, Joe Lewis's stuff is in a playlist. But you, you guys, we've been working with our friend Chris. Yeah, Chris, uh, Christopher Borma, who has been a longtime friend of the project and um, he's been doing a phenomenal work on the thumbnail. We yeah, got the two new, of you've been making some sexy well, thumbnails. Yeah, well, he was the one that suggested it at the very beginning. Yeah, and um, and yeah, we've been just you know working together to get some really cool, I think, so, little thumbnails. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it's the little extra you know it's extra work to do them, but so making the I socials think it's worth it. I think it looks look cool. handsome, and that's just a way of us saying thank you for listening. Uh, yeah. So we try to make it as presentable as we can. We're not always as presentable as we should be, but yeah. uh, we try to make the podcast as presentable yeah. a- as it can be because uh, you never know who's going to happen across it. So, But thank you for liking and subscribing, leaving a comment, doing all those podcast things in all the podcast places. Thank you, thank you. Uh, but people find the show and then leave us messages, and it's astounding. Yeah. No, we just got a great message this week. Um. From the daughter of the gentleman who owned Miss America Nine. Yeah, I know that's a, such a that's such a cool message. I, I forwarded you the. Yeah, uh, I, I it's, read it. It was it's awesome. A, it was a Facebook. It was a Facebook post. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. No, a, a YouTube comment. Uh, so she had found it. Uh, she she said uh, someone in her family, her husband, uh, found it uh, and turned her on to it. And then she was complimenting us. She's like, there's so many things I didn't know about the boats yeah. and the other Miss Americas. And she said she thanked us so much and then sent us an open invitation to come and uh, broadcast from the bow yeah, that, of the Miss America 9 yeah, that's, uh, if I we really, ever find ourselves near her. Yeah, so, I would love to do that. That would be, um, so, that would be so cool. We could uh, absolutely very well uh, That's take, kind of a dream. I mean, we already, we've already been, done a show at the Miss America 10. We did do a, a show at the Miss America 9. That'd be even, that'd be, you know, that's a functional boat. Oh, you know, it was Holly. Awesome. Holly. Uh, Holly. Holly uh, said that her husband stumbled across the podcast, shared it with me. My father uh, was Chris Mistily. Chris just passed away in the yeah, last we t- uh, year we, well, and I a half. I think we talked about it. We on did one talk of the shows, about yeah. it. 
Um, and he's the one who salvaged the Miss America 9 and rebuilt it. And there was a, it made it a, an actual functional boat where you can drive around in it. Yeah. That's like the coolest thing in the and world. And it's on, uh, we reposted on Facebook, there's a, a news article, uh, there was a news feature. Uh, there was a video of them. The they were yeah. cruising around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, so yeah, awesome. there was a news feature on yeah. it uh, showing the video of the boat running. And, she, and she's, she, uh, but Holly. it's kind of like stuff like that. It's you know, like, and I, I love the fact that they commented in. But it's 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 uh, the one of the bigger one of the things I think that are the show is kind of important, not kind of, but important about is bringing attention to these incredibly important like pieces of memorabilia and you know maybe. Memorabilia isn't the right word for the boat, but like legendary craft, you know, legendary. I mean, this is an iconic, legendary, yes. and incredibly rare. Right. And the fact that it's still functional after yeah. 80 years. Oh, it's gorgeous, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. It's, it, but what it does is by bringing attention to people, you know, to a wider audience that maybe never even heard of the Miss Americas or anything like right, this, right. what it does is it makes other people treasure it as well right it makes and the more people that care about something mm-hmm. the more uh, and it, something of an incredible historical significance like that boat or like many of the other things we talked about on the show the more they have a chance to survive and continue to be seen by you know you know other generations future yes. generations because they're relevant they stay relevant as their story is told and that's what we're trying to do is, is, is exactly preserve that's some one of, this of the many things that you know, i think that it's important for the books for the shows for what we're you know yeah. all this different stuff um for doing a movie you know like bringing yeah. this stuff out in a movie yeah. imagine this thing is seen on a netflix miniseries it's like one of the biggest you know i call it the first sports epic film ever made mm-hmm. imagine this is shown you know, in the movie, right. and this is you know, and in it's in shown in its context of how it, you know how important this is, and then you know the fact that the boat's still there, right. which is incredible to you and I, incredible to everybody knows about this, but to the wider world and goes, oh my God, that boat is still running, like mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. like it would just be such a, uh, I think such a big deal, and then of course it would be incredibly special to a far larger you know you know um, you know region of people, you know, so. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like I, I'm, it, I was, it was a thrill to see so that. Message. That was and the we last really story. You yeah, right in. Holly, a, thank you. Yes, Holly, that was for, a great. That was really cool. That to was see. yeah, and yeah. that uh, when it touches the family because her her dad Charles put so much yeah blood, sweat, and tears into uh, preserving that boat. Yeah, um, just being a, a, a an aquatic f- fanatic yeah. uh, himself. So um, that was the last big story that we did was uh, Garwood. Uh, in the Miss Americas, uh, but we've moved on and we're moving into the part two. The Hague, Walter Hagen. Uh, the Hague. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny every time you say that. Yeah. It's the Hague. We're moving into uh, talking yeah, it, about but the, Walter Hagen. And, and here's story. another component of the City of Champions season, right. which is uh, again like this. Th- you know, one of the reasons why the season itself is so important to be retold. And you know, um, I was talking to somebody today, and there, and somebody was telling me. About how like well you know history sometimes isn't a big deal to people from other you know like and I, you know and I'm just and the thing about it is it's like if you're not interested in history then go then go be about your business or whatever but right. the, but the, you know like some there's a lot of stories that are out there that are that yeah there's that you can't remember everything there's a million stories there's some stories that are about some random topic that you just don't care about but if you're a sports fan of Detroit mm-hmm. or or if you're I mean I think a sports fan at large even right um this story is I mean this is this is the foundation of Detroit sports mm-hmm. this is the beginning of it this is when Detroit went from being a second class 
baseball town that had never won a World Series into being a incredibly you know a, a relevant part of a competitive part of the of the America's national sporting scene right. with multiple teams with with now all of a sudden with a with a you know a mantle full of credentials and mm. trophies in every sport that one could talk to influence influence in, in, in every sport that you can think of yep. and that and they say like this is the foundation of of sports uh, as of the idea of Detroit sports and so that's what I'm saying. And, and so the, these people that were part of this story, the impacts that they would eventually have on, like, you know, there's the whole season, of course, and giving Detroit this huge identity. Sure. But within the boundary of each of these different sports, they had profound impact on that sport in Michigan, in Detroit. And Walter Hagen uh, is, stands peerless in his influence on golf right. in Detroit, in right, Michigan. Right. And Detroit is a golf spot. We, the Detroit, we've... You know the the uh, Oakland Hills. When I was a kid, I um I, when I was a kid, I held my father at the uh, U.S. Open. At the, there's a U.S. Open golf. T- you know, there's a major golf tournament here. Right. They, you don't. You don't, not every city has a, a the U.S. Open. Gets to host the U.S. Open. It has mass you know major tournaments like that in their you know within their midst. It takes effort. It takes people to establish a groundwork and to establish that you know to put Detroit on the map. To make it a desirable destination to do that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you just kind of take a ring and go, "Oh yeah, that's a, that's a cool event that's coming to the city." But it, but unless your city is on the map and is a competitive factor in the national sporting scene, yeah. you're not gonna you're you're irrelevant. You're not gonna get those big things. You're not gonna get the revenue that comes with it. Then when people come, you're not gonna get the prestige. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna get the the young kids that grow up in the shadow of these, you know, of, of these kind of events and then like get inspired and become golfers themselves and be, and go out and become world beaters themselves. You know, right. there, there's so much that go, that, that, that these, that these things bring in. And, and Walter Hagen, like I say, this is, uh, Walter Hagen is, um, is peerless, you know, in his, in his impact on, on golf, on Detroit as a, you know, as, uh, you know, as a, as part of the golfing scene in Detroit. So last time we were together, we talked a little bit about the history of golf, uh, how things were founded, uh, and then we are... I like to say uh, a history of golf because yeah. there's so many... Like there's golf like, is so yeah. ancient and there's so many yeah. different... That's why I said... like on the, on the, a the, history A of history of golf. Not, not the... Right, right. Not the <laughs> yeah, what we were talking some about. Some of the history <laughs> yeah, of golf. We ancient. skimmed uh, a little bit here yeah, and there. Yeah, golf is ancient. And uh, But then uh, getting into the Hagen, the Walter Hagen story, yeah. uh, he has a book. Uh, yeah, the, the the by the Hague himself, yeah, Walter Hague's story. That's the book we're going to be citing most, oh, and yeah. uh, and I actually brought the book today rather than my own book because I I did quote from this book in mine, mm-hmm. but there, I wanted to go a little bit deeper into Walter Hagen, and so I actually brought his book in with a couple of passages to read. All right, so but, what? Um, what uh, but so I left, but his... the book I brought in doesn't have the cover because the cover is like literally like shards of paper. Yeah, yeah, it's it, so, it was it was falling apart. Oh last my week. god, it's like leaving a trail of yeah. of little micro <laughs> dots of. Brown paper. I'm like, no, I don't want it to fall apart. So I, I left the, the jacket at home and okay. I uh, brought just the, the book itself in. Right. But so, so um, what are we talking about, Walter? Today, so what are we know, finding out his week, early yeah, days? Yeah, last week we were talking about the you know the origin of golf and how it kind of faded into mm-hmm. Hagen himself. Um, and this week we're talking about you know the early you know the the early years of Walter Hagen, like sort of where he got his influences from. And just you know, kind of who he was, and you know, growing how, up. And, how and, early did he get involved in golf? How, how so it, that's what's gonna be you know interesting. So he, so uh, born in eighteen ninety two, Walter Hagen. 
Um, and so uh, by in 1901, so here, so Walter Higgins born in, in uh, 1892, and he lives basically across the street from from the Rod. He's born in New Rochester, New York. Are you gonna make me do math? No, I'll tell you. Okay, I'll get eight years old. Okay, fair I got point. it all written down. I don't all know, right. we're not trying don't, to do math here. It's my impression. I don't there like would to do math, no math either. <laughs> That's why I got. The, I got it written down. That's why I take, uh, yeah. I take notes. It was my impression there would be no math. All right, no, anyway, we're, no, we're, we're good with math. We're in New York. Try, go ahead. I do math all day too. I'm not uh, trying to do it on the show. I'm good. I'm not bringing my calculator out during the show, man. I leave that at home. So, 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 anyways, so uh, Walter Hagen is uh, born, born and raised in Rochester, New York, and pretty much everything we're going to be talking about here talks takes place in Rochester, New York, and so he grows up um, across the street from the uh, it's uh, the uh, Country Club of Rochester, mm-hmm. and it's like sort of across the street, and then he can go up on this hill next to his house and see down into this um, into this golf course. And he can see all these golfers playing golf. Well, and what do kids have to do to entertain themselves? Yeah. Um, in nineteen oh in nineteen oh one, you know, it's it's either you play kick the rock. Well, they had baseball uh, and they had some or, other stuff too. Well, I mean, what they didn't have. Yeah, like, but what I'm saying though is that that golf and, was his influence primarily because yeah. of its locale. It's yeah. right there in front of him, and he could go up on this hill as a little kid and right. like, you know, mommy, what are they doing down there? And they're whacking balls and yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, it's got this beautiful. You know, country club style building, mm-hmm. and so yeah, so he's watching. You know, he that was sort of his early influence, and so his his first job is as a caddy for the country club. Oh. I mean, it's right. I mean, what else? What else is he gonna do? You know, he's gonna caddy for. He's born into a family. His his dad is a, a blacksmith and um, did a, uh, did work on you know early automobiles. Um, so they're sort of like a middle class family that they're not like you know they're not poor or anything like this, but about kind of like a middle class family. Anyways, he gets a job at a country club, you know, and he he says in his book that he his his first his wages were ten cents an hour plus a five cent tip, and um and so and and uh yeah so he said he so that he would caddy every day and then play baseball on Sundays according to his book. All right. So and and he also says in his book that although he was a caddy, he loved baseball more. And and what he would do was it was it's kind of interesting. He would take uh, as a as a caddy, he would uh, they would find like lost golf balls, which were in far less mass production then than they are today. Yeah. So you know, sort of more value to have found golf ball in those days. And so they'd he'd find find golf balls, and then there's a couple things he could do with it. It's basically like extra bonus money because he could sell it to the sporting goods shop. Sure. But another thing that he could do is he would take that golf ball. And then he would match up with the other caddies, and they would um, have a putting tournament to to see who would take all like ten found golf balls. Mm-hmm. So they'd ga- so he'd do some gambling. And he even said like pitching pennies. It's uh, exactly putting golf balls. Yeah, and so he would take those, and he would you know if whenever he would win the putting tournament, yeah, he would take those balls to the sporting goods shop and buy like a new baseball mitt or yeah. a new baseball bat. He was using all of his you know money for. For, for equipment in that. And it reminds me, like a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about here in this, you know, his caddy experiences, it reminds me of my own experience because I used to work up on Mackinac Island. Oh, okay. And it reminds me because, like, um, it was, it was, I worked, I was, a, I was in the uh, luggage department. I was a, like, a, you call it a bellhop, but I was, uh, you know, we were, uh, I was a dock porter slash bellman. So the luggage, we would bring the luggage in from the, from the boats coming up to Mackinac Island. And we were responsible for getting it to the rooms and then from the rooms back out to the boats. And there was like 15 guys. We're all like in our young 20s, you know, working these working the docks, you know, taking luggage up to people's rooms. And it was so reminiscent a lot of because there's so many recollect. The book is really a, a great read. 
Um, but there's so many recollections by him of his caddying days. I had to just do a series of notes. But it's just interesting because a lot of the stuff, like, for instance, the idea where he was putting to, like, win money, we used to do that pitching quarters. There'd be a bunch of people at the docks where we'd be pitching quarters, yeah. and you'd take everybody else's quarter. Or you'd, take do- you'd take dollars from people and that. And so it was stuff like that that was, you know, really reminiscent for me. I'm like, that's so awesome because I had a similar sort of experience up on Mackin Island because it was like a sort of a caddy type of a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a caddy shack, you know. So, <laughs> so anyways, so, so that was one of the first things that kind of like, uh, you know, kind of made me appreciate that where he's, you know, where he's doing that. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so, so this, so this is what he's doing. So he's, he's caddying. And so he's, and so he's, he, he finds himself learning. He, he doesn't ever talk about the fact that he was like particularly in love with golf. It was a job he was doing. He started playing more golf because it, it allowed him to learn more about the, about what he was doing. So when he was caddying, I mean, he's, again, he, he starts caddying in 1901 at the age of eight years old. Jeez. And wow. so, and so, you know, between 1901 and 1905, you know, by the time he's 12 years old, you know, he's just learning how to play golf just because he wants to be able, he's trying to be the best at his job, which right. is to know about golf and, you know, help people carry their bags and, you know, kind of be humorous with them about their game and stuff. And so he's got to learn to play golf, but he's not allowed to play at the course. You know, he's a, he's a kid and he's right. a caddy. And there, you know, again, this is a, and this is an elite sort of club. You got to be rich. You got to have some money to be in this part of this thing. And so he makes his own, he makes his own uh, golf course on a. There's a, a nearby cow pasture. Okay. And he makes his own little golf course on this <laughs> cow pasture, and that and that's another thing. It reminds me of when I was younger because we did a couple things like that. We made our own little golf course nearby, and we also um, made our own football field right. back in this dead end area. We made we mowed this huge fifty yard square, yeah. and then built wood goal poles and stuff. We used to play football there for years. We yeah. had our own football field. Yeah, it's like sandlot golf. Yeah, so I could kind of see. You know, again, I, there's some sort of you know, there's some things I kind of connected with with some of this stuff with, yeah. with his childhood and this. And so uh, it kind of takes up to what is 12 years old in 1905. I got a cool little story that kind of talks about um, about uh, sort of what kind of happened at, at 12 years old. Oh, yeah, what happened at 12? Um, so, all right, so late in this, so this is again from his book, the Walter Hagen, um, uh, Walter Hagen story by the Hag himself. By the Hag himself. So late in the spring when I was 12 years old, I was in the seventh grade and sitting looking out the window, feeling the nice warm air and sunshine on my face. I could see the golfers out on the course at the Country Club of Rochester. Suddenly, I couldn't take it any longer. When Mrs. Cullen, the teacher, wasn't looking, I jumped out the window. I never went back to school regularly again. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout that summer, I spent every weekday caddying, and on Sundays I played baseball. I was a good caddy, conscientious about my job, and soon members of the Thistle Club asked me to caddy for them. This was a big step up for me. The Thistle Club, composed of charter members of the club, which had preceded the Country Club of Rochester, was a sort of inner group whose word carried a lot of weight. I picked up a lot of pointers in the game and played around in my own cow pasture course when I had the free time. That fall, when golfing was over, I decided to learn a trade to support myself until I was ready for the big leagues, meaning he wanted to play pro baseball. Um, it, was, it seemed natural that anything I'd learned, would, I'd learned to do would involve skill with my hands. Harry's Garage in Rochester was taking apprentices in car repairing for a fee of $27 a month. In order to make the payments, I got a part-time job with Foster Armstrong Piano Company as a wood finisher. I also went to school three nights a week, taking a course supplementary to the car repair work. As a sideline, I had enrolled at the correspondence course in taxidermy. A little later with the piano company job as a, as a background experience, I landed a job as a paid apprentice to a mandolin maker. 
These two jobs gave me a good basic knowledge of woods and work, woodworking, as oh. well as, as appreciation of fine grains and finishing. When I became a professional golfer, my clubs were always bright and polished. As a fellow pro once remarked, you can shave in Hagen's clubs. Wow. I continued to caddy at the Country Club of Rochester through the summer, and the Thistle Club members fixed it so I could play the club course. By the time I was 15, Andrew Christie, the club pro, needed an assistant, and it had to be me. So, um, yeah, so, so uh, that's, yeah, so that's him. That's, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, his kid's motivated. Yeah. He's, he's got, you know, he's, he's learning how to play golf. He's, um, uh, you know, he's getting, he just gets promoted to be the assistant pro at this, at this golf course. And he's, you know, 12 years old for, you know, maybe, what did he say? 14 years old, right up, right in that area. Um, I think it's, I think cause he worked his way up. So it was like 14 because I got the next sort of block is 15 years old and we're not there yet. Yeah. So, um, so between 12 and 15 years, you know, 15 years old, he's the club pro at, at this course. And so he's like apprenticing and he's getting all kinds of credentials under his belt, you know, to be able to do stuff. And so, um, uh, so, so anyways, yeah. So he, so this is, this is who he is. He's learned, you know, he's, he's learning how to make, you know, to woodwork, which is going to be huge because he's going to end up making his own clubs. Like this is what he's going to be doing. Yeah, I love that when you said mandolin, I'm like, where are we going with the mandolin? That's, uh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, so anyways, so his, so the notes I sort of have here to kind of zip through. So, um, so he, while he's at this club, the you know he's he's making these connections, and he's and he talks a ton in this book. There's a ton like I have to literally just summarize it in mm-hmm. the idea that he's there's all these these are some of the like richest most influential people in this area, and he's like caddying for them and charming them and being friends with them and making connections. And so they're so they're so he's making all these. He said he even said in his book these people would for, he said throughout my entire life these people would like help push me into the in these different directions oh, nice. in my careers and that so he's making a ton of like you know super important connections and one of the things that they that these people love to do is like sort of all is not all but many you know people with excess amounts of cash like yeah. to do yeah, is yeah. gamble on everything uh-huh. he said so they he said they would gamble on everything and and one of the things that they wanted that they gambled on and they was that they put that hagen uh, uh, captained a group of five caddies in a contest against a rival Oak Hill Country Club, and they won. So, it, so his group won, and so so these rich guys bought them uh, a trophy for their victory over Oak Hill. And Hagen says that was the that was the first and only amateur trophy he ever won. Oh, okay. Because after that, is he's going to start actually making some money, like right, doing what right. he's doing as an actual club pro. So, so he, so yeah, so he points to. Um, he just points that, that not only just the influences on people on these people on his career. He's got a ton of stories like this in there, but one of the one of the big influences he talks about is is how he would see these guys, and he said these guys were always super well dressed. You know, they were always talking about big like multi million dollar deals. Mm-hmm. They're talking about traveling the world. Oh, last week we went out to Africa for a business deal, and oh, we met with the Maharaja or something. You know, like whatever. He's mind boggling. Yeah, things for yeah, for yeah. him that he's like never. It's it's kind of like it's it's inspiring him. Like mm-hmm. he wants to do those things. He wants to hobnob with kings and queens like these guys are doing. So so there. So so this is an incredibly formative point in his life i mean he spends a ton of time to like i say talking about this and so um so so by 1911 this the the club pro andrew christie 
uh, is teaching him all about like he's learning everything about golf clubs. Like he's turn, learning everything about them. Um, he's so the, so at, the, at this time the heads, the metal, you know, the heads of these clubs were made in England and Scotland, but the shafts for the clubs were all made by Hagen and Andrew Christie. Oh, okay. And so again, he's using his woodworking to build the shafts for these for these clubs. Mm-hmm. And so not only are they selling them to these. To the you know at this event, but they're selling like he's they're they're selling them at other events like they're selling like they're you know making golf clubs. They're getting the box of the heads in from England and Scotland, turning them into clubs and selling them. Yeah, it's like what they're doing. So, um, and so the, a little side, a little interesting note that I that he talks about is the set that he that he made he made himself a set, and the set that he carried through two uh, American Open golf championships um, all the way through nineteen twenty. Like he carried, like he made for himself when he was a caddy. Like it's the same set that he was using when he was a caddy, you know, back in the early days. And he's got this unbelievable story. This it's a really great story about him at some point in this future when he was going in the Hall of Fame. And he like he the the Hall of Fame the high the the golfing Hall of Fame came asking him for, hey, do you have one of your original clubs that we can get? Oh, okay. And so he was like. He was like, I can do better than that. He gave him the whole set. Oh wow! He gave him the whole set, but he was missing his favorite club, and so, they, so he asked his assistant. He's like, you know where I, where this where my mashie is? That was like my favorite club. And she and the assistant was like, oh, I know, I know where it is. I'll bring it to you. And so he was doing a tournament at Oakland Hills, and he uh, and the assistant came up to him. Was like, I found your mashie. Yeah. And he said he gripped this mashie. You know, he's kind of an old man by this point. And he's like, it was like looking at like a lost friend, uh, you know. And he's like, yeah. I used that mashy for that little tournament or whatever. And he was like, it was like a like a lost friend that he was like reunited with, and uh, and so that so he had it. And then and so there's a um, there's another club called the Calamity Jane, which was Bobby Jones. We're gonna be talking about in a future yeah. episode. That club and that H- Hagen's mashy are together in uh, the. It's I think it's the New York Country Club or something. It's one he's got it in the book. It's one country club or another, but it's like the so they actually the Hall of Fame I think said this club is too cool to like have as part of this set. You know we'll take the set for the Hall of Fame, but that mashy we want to put with Bobby Jones's Calamity, which was a famous club of Bobby Jones called the Calamity Jane. It's so oh. two of them are like together uh-huh. in this club, yeah. So it's just kind of funny that he's like reunited with this club and he's you know he's got he's just got this book is just full of stories like that. You can't even you know it's very it's almost tough to outline because he's so many reminiscences all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, so he so so these so these people so he goes off. He has this this tournament with this rival club. They win, um, and then uh, and so in the meantime, so he's like while he's doing all this, it's 1911. Uh, he is um, a, so he is what is that 19? So he's about 18 years old, and Andrew and Andrew Christie. Um, uh, or no, I was gonna say so. No, he so Hagen at this point he's been playing baseball this entire time, as I mentioned, and he's getting really good. Oh, and so okay. he so at this point he's pitching for a semi-pro team called the Rochester Ramblers. It's so Rochester, New York, the Rochester Ramblers, and he's he's pitching for them and getting a dollar fifty a game, oh. which is you know not not the fa- the greatest money in the world, but again he started at ten cents an hour plus five sure. cent tips, so a dollar fifty, you know it's you know not bad. So. Yeah. Um, and then th- that team that he pitched for won their city championship three times. Okay. So wow. there's they're competitive, and uh, we're gonna find out even how, you know that he's competitive here, you know, in a, in probably next episode, like how competitive he was because yeah. baseball was his sport. 
And so at one point, uh, 19, this is 1912 now, and at, at 1912 there is a uh, there's a, a big a big golf tournament called the National Open, and it's being held in Buffalo, New York. And so uh, Hagen is going to travel with with Andrew Christie of the the pro you know the club pro for Rochester, mm-hmm. and, and he's also going to travel with the rival club that Oak Hill that Oak Hill club. He's that club pro is going with them too, and his name is Alf Campbell. So there's three of these guys: Hagen, Christie, and Alf Campbell are going. So they go to this tournament, the National Open in Buffalo, New York. Okay, and so in their practice round, like the, the two of those guys were going to plan it, and then Hagen was just going to be just kind of there to hang out with them and that. And so um, he goes to this tournament with them, and they play a practice game before that, and Hagen beats both of them. Uh. Right, and so. Immediately after that, they send him home uh, to watch. He's got to he's got to take care of his clubhouse, right? Uh, <laughs> and so he Hagen even says in the book, he goes, "They sent me." He goes, "It's obvious why they sent me home yeah. because they don't want their assistant to sh- to beat you know the one guy. I'm his assistant. He doesn't want to get showed up by me, and the other guy is his friend, and he doesn't want to get showed. You know, I don't. They, they know that I could beat them, and they don't want to see it. You yeah. know, they're like, they, yeah. if I win the tournament, and those two guys finish in the middle of the pack, they're going to look terrible, especially to their own members and stuff. So he's under no illusion of why they sent him home. Yep. And but at the same time, he 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 does talk about how there was sort of a wink and a nod to the idea that like, if you like, don't make us look bad and just go home and watch the the pro shop while we're gone and let us have our little turn, you know, our tournament without you. Then, uh, then we'll set it up so that you get to go to the Canadian Open in Toronto, uh-huh. and so we'll, so you can go there. We'll get a slot for you there. We'll get a somebody's going to house you there. We'll take we'll set you up. So just just you know be cool with us. Yeah, you know, yeah, so that's yeah. kind of he he's understanding of that fact too. He's like, that's great. I kind of know how to play the game. You know, he's like, you know, he kind of nods to that idea that that this was this was the reality. You know, mm-hmm, that he's like mm-hmm. he's like it's he's like you know. So anyways, it, it's just kind of interesting when you read between the lines of that particular. Uh, story so so anyway so he does go to the Canadian Open which was just a short time after that and so he goes to this tournament in um, in Toronto and he finishes 11th in the tournament so not fantastic and he acknowledges that he's like it wasn't necessarily the best game I ever played um, but it was his first tournament that he was ever in his first you know professional tournament and he but the once he said the one redeeming component of that of the tournament was that he finished up one slot ahead of a guy who had formerly won this tournament. Okay. So he was like, well, you know, I played better than he did, which yeah. is a consolation prize. And so um, in 1912, this sort of later on in this year, Hagen would, would uh, Andrew Christie would leave the Rochester club and Hagen would become the, the top, you know, club pro at the, at this club. Okay. Well. And so um, that's, yeah. So this is, so I actually have a little, a little bit of a story, which is, you know, to partner with that, a little quote that he talks about, which is definitely worth worth reading. Yeah, so he's a uh, young man making some moves. He's, he's making still, moves. He's still he's a pretty meeting, young guy. Well, how old is he right now? At this point, he's 18, yeah, 18 years 18, old. 18, all right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so this is sort of like the little finale. I thought it was a pretty good sort of quote to read about it. Um, all right, so, um, all right. So, so in this is actually him saying it. So in 1912, I became pro, and I asked George Christ, my former fellow caddy and baseball pal, to be my assistant. I gave my dad a job as greenskeeper too. 
Here I was, 19, only 19 years old, a real pro with an assistant, a salary of approximately $1,200 for eight months of the year, and a chance to make extra cash by giving lessons at $2 an hour. I also collected a fee of $1.50 a month per set for keeping 200 sets of clubs clean during the season. Also, through the winter, we'd make clubs in the pro shop for sale during the summer. I really felt important. I'd come a long way from that job as a caddy in 1900 at 10 cents an hour. I was big and strong, almost six feet tall and around 175 pounds of weight and plenty healthy. I didn't smoke and I'd never taken a drink. In fact, I'd never smoked a cigarette or took a drink until after I was 26 years old and left Rochester. I was a pro with a good job. Members of the club liked to play with me and treated me as a friend, but I still did not feel that I could walk in the front door of the clubhouse to hoist, to, to hoist a post-round glass or to enjoy a steak dinner. Rochester, like all other places where the game was popular, considered the pro, the paid golfer, as someone outside the social sphere. I had broken that rule once with the help of a member, Mr. Harry Strong. I was about nine at the time and, and had caddied many rounds of golf for him. He reached the finals in a tournament and was in a playoff with Mr. J.C. Powers. He hired me again, but for an unusual job. He took another caddy along with him when he teed off and sent me inside the clubhouse to Herman, the bartender. I was to meet the two players at the second hole with a shaker of cocktails. That first shaker, the two shared equally. I scurried back to Herman for a refill. At the fourth green, I hid flat on my tummy in a nearby ditch waiting for them to arrive. This time, after their green shots and putts, Mr. Strong generously insisted that his opponent imbibe most of the liquid refreshment. I followed this procedure for the entire match, dashing to the clubhouse bar for a refill in the shaker, then scuttling back to meet the players in alternate <laughs> holes. Are you seeing where this is going? I see where this is going. <laughs> in spite of my efforts and Mr. Strong's hospitality, Mr. Powers won the match. Ah. Still, the guy still lost. So, in spite of my <laughs> Mr. Strong's hospitality, Mr. Powers... Mr. Powers won the match. Uh, By the time they had reached the last two holes, they were both spraying their shots all over the course. However, the playoff was most important to me because it gave me the unusual opportunity of seeing inside of the beautiful and exclusive clubhouse of the Country Club of Rochester. No other caddy had been able to wangle that. Oh. He'd been working there since he was eight years old. A decade he was there. Wow. And the only time, the only time that he saw the inside of this clubhouse. He was sneaking drinks to get the uh, opponent get drunk in a playoff. Yeah. Was to get this guy's opponent drunk. I love and it was that. such a critical this is an emergency, Walter. We need you <laughs> to get this guy drunk so I can win this tournament. And still didn't So win. they're just like, why are you gonna let me go into the clubhouse? And they're like, that's how important this is. We're gonna let you, the first caddy ever to go inside this hallowed halls of the clubhouse yeah. to get these drinks, uh, that's like this is going to be a theme of the Walter Hagen story mm. that we're going to be focusing on is that like he's like, oh my, I've never, he'd never, all the, the he's the club pro. Yeah. He's the club professional of wow. this place. Still didn't get to And go. he's friends with everybody there. Yeah. You, you should see the next, the previous five pages is him just going on and on about all these different stories about how they're, like I say, the one story where he's going off and, uh, you know, as a tournament against Oak Hill Club and he's playing, you know, they give him a trophy and all this. And wow. all this stuff that he goes through, you get all the way to the point where he goes, and then, then I got to see inside the clubhouse. You know, take a peek. Yeah. That's it. That's where they're at. That's where golf is at this point. Elitist. Elite. You are, if you're an elite, you get to be, you get to hang out in the club. It's the greatest spot in the world. If you're, it doesn't, but especially if you're a professional, you're like the working class guy. 
you're not even allowed to take a peek through the window in that place. You know, I mean, that's where we're that's where we're at right here. Mm -hmm. And that is the barrier that he is going to eradicate that club pros are not just, you know, the rank and file hired help working, you know, working, living out, sleeping out in the in the stable, you Mm -hmm. know, but they're but but you're actually going to be like, you know, not, you know, the most revered person at the club. That's where he's going to take golf. And that's where we're going with this story. So anyways, yeah, so that's, you know, that's the main thing I got today. So the, um, yeah, that's, so it's just a great little kind of a ditty, but you can see how big this, you know, this sort of caddying experience was. And, and if we, and if that wasn't clear from my rendition of it, then read his <laughs> book and tell me that you're reading 25 pages of him right, right. telling story after story after story about all the things that he learned from it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, uh. So yeah, he. You know, but you can just see I, I just the the elitist, uh, the the exclusivity. Yeah, you know, and and you forget of you know it, it's uh, you know times now. There's there's you know private clubs and there's you know private things and uh, yeah. But a lot of times when a lot of times when you see, I remember how it was when I was first exposed to Walter Hagen. Yeah, and you hear, like you read, you do like a little overall summary of them, and it's and they talk about. Oh, he did so much for professional golf. Right, right. He opened up professional golf to all the professional golfers. But he was the outsider to begin with. Exactly. He started out as the outsider. It wasn't like pro golf was like, oh, they just didn't make a ton of money. Sure. They were social outcasts. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That he took that he took the sport of he took the professional component of golf and he changed it from being he like literally him he was the guy that did it. And he like he changed it from being a from a group of outs of outcast outsiders to being a legitimate the the number one feature of golf like right. the main thing so but it's one thing to like see like a little quick summary of it where it goes Walter Hagen did a ton for professional yeah. golf to yeah, really yeah. make it what it is today to, to actually hearing the stories you know one after another because this is not the only one we are going to hear many stories like this as we proceed yeah. where it is a, 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 a it is time after time after time he's they're treated like they are second class citizens mm. like they'll be the feature of a tournament right they're all these professional like sure, they'll, sure, they'll sure. bring a guy from we're gonna one of the guys i can't wait to talk about this british golfer they bring over but you gotta dress was, behind the shrubs yeah they, that's how it is yeah they're 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 gonna be having these guys that they bring over like there's magazines about them and hagen's there's this british golfer that he just his name is Harry Varden, who Walter Hagen is just in love with. Like he's like, this guy is the pinnacle of the mm-hmm. golfing world, and like he got to actually golf in this tournament with Harry Harry Varden, and he's like copying Harry Varden's swing and doing all these things. And Harry Varden comes over, and he basically same thing. He's like sleeping in a tent outside. The, like all the fans are watching it. He's the centerpiece of the tournament. Sure, he's brought in from Britain as like this featured guest. Yeah, but even as like a featured guest. He is still an outcast. He's like, they're like, oh, but you're not. You can't come in the club. Oh well, let's not get crazy. Let's here. not get crazy. You know, <laughs> you're here to entertain the masses. Yeah, you're, and we're, we, well, they're here. They're you entertain- go sleep in your car. Well, he's entertaining the aristocrat too. Yeah. He's entertaining them too. But he did not. You're not to come in the club. Oh. This is this is for golf purists, yeah, people yeah. that are 
have like have bathed in the you know in the water you know have been baptized into amateurism like we don't uh, want the stink of professionalism <laughs> in our club that's what it is wow so i mean that's what it is and so we're going to be seeing this you know this is going to be a, a, a recurring theme and and what's interesting is is that hagen is going to be so big that he and he's actually going to take a stand for it. Yeah, we, that's we, what we it alluded is. to that. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah, and it's and that's but it's, a, it's sort of a, an idea uh, component of the idea that every you know people find themselves in you know there's a billion lives that are lived in these in in, in all in the in the world throughout the course of time all the way through now there's all these people in the world in this net. But like you know, you find yourself in a situation to deal with you know with to, to sort of to face the obstacle that encumbers you, mm-hmm. you know. And this was an obstacle that is going to encounter him specifically. He has the ability to do something about it, and he doesn't. He's not like all the other professional golfers that just go. Eh, it's just the way that it is. He's like, no, that's not the way it's gonna be. And he does something about making that change. I love it. I love it. And if you want to know what that change is, you got to stick around. You got to follow us. Like, subscribe. Is that you trying to hint that the show's over? Well, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm hitting too. All right. No, I just wanted to point that out. If I, <laughs> I'll give you if a I didn't, time. if I jump in with that, you just keep going. And then... yeah, no, I was wrapping it up. <laughs> but then you're like, hey, and if you want to hear any more, yeah, you do. Hey, yeah, hold on a second, Jamie. Uh, I'm not done. Segways. I, I thought you got your last note there. No, I was it's watching. my last I was note. It's my last note. I was but, but I was like, hey, hold on a second. I got another couple hours. <laughs> Flipping the page, man. Yeah. I got more to do. Uh, but, yeah, we do have more to do, and we have many more aspects of this story to tell. Uh, Walter's story especially will continue on the next episode. So uh, do those podcast things in the podcast places. Like, like and share, subscribe. Our numbers are starting to grow a little bit. Tell friends. Are, let's keep the momentum going, folks. Tell one person about it. Share it. Uh, you know, tell every, give it the thumbs up, give it a comment, all that stuff. Every single little engagement really helps us build the show. And it does. It might seem like a small little thing, but we um, – but it, every single we we appreciate everyone. We're like we hang on every single the words of every comment. We're like, hey, we look at that person said thank you. They had an exclamation point. They had two exclamation points. That means they really liked the Chris, show. Chris, Chris liked my cliffhanger. Oh, nice. Continuing next time. Yeah, it's on like, the what do they call it? They call it like the the trailer out or yeah, whatever yeah, the, the cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. It's a, so, uh, but yeah, thanks to Chris uh, Holly for uh, leaving that comment. We appreciate uh, it. Like I say, that all was, engagements. And, it, and her comment was really cool. That it's, was moving. It was, it's, uh, and it's nice to touch people. You know, to reach people that are, you know, that that are, you know, have things going on that are attached to this project. Yeah, you know? I we that's like probably like the fourth or fifth relative. Uh, that's of what I someone mean. attached it's, to the always, story that's commented. Yeah. I would like to do an episode where we just kind of get all those people on the phone and just uh, how and find out how they're connected. Well, when I was um, doing art shows all over the place, I was meeting family members from these teams. Like, I mean, I like seriously, I'm friends with some of these people on like Facebook and stuff now. <laughs> like, it's it was crazy. Like, there, like, it's it's interesting how people you know find this story that are like related to people or have some you know have a connection to the story in some way. Uh. And uh, it's just, it's just interesting, and, and again, yeah, I'm glad it's it's just cool that Holly reached out like that. I'm just glad to hear from that. Yeah, yep. So all right, so uh, DetroitCityOfChampions.com uh, is the, the the website. Uh, there's a link tree connected yeah, in there, link tree. And, and if you, down in the show notes, there's a link tree. 
Um, so you find us wherever you, you listen, uh, Facebook. Um, yeah, and, any uh, YouTube or podcasting thing. Wherever. Type yep. in Detroit City of Champions. I don't you'll, think there's too many of those out. You'll, you'll find know. us. So appreciate yeah, you'll it. Find us. Uh, and, uh, check uh, me out. If you're in the Detroit area, come check me out at the, it's called Inspire Marketplace at 12 Oaks Mall. There you go. Um, it's a Michigan art store there. And then there's also a uh, Parchers Creek. Uh, there's a, um, it's the same thing, Inspire Marketplace at Parchers Creek. I'm there two days a week. Uh, the, the Inspire at uh, 12 Oaks. I'm there five days a week. So I work. By that math, seven days a week. So That's I'm there it. the two stores, one of those two days, always getting stuff ready to go always for the next show. Working. All right. So uh, we'll see you next time on Detroit, the City of Champions.